come today, and I have to open today, I think, with a, a very a very deep-hearted confession that is not easy. Um, in fact, uh, people have said to me this morning, how are you doing this morning? And I had to lie every time um, because my heart is, has been heavy all week long, and I hope I can just get through it. And I don't know that even as I as, even as I say this that it will make a hundred percent sense to you. And I think it's part of the struggle that I, I go through. But no, I didn't commit adultery or anything like that. So if that's what you were thinking, um, I didn't take anything from the offering or anything like that. So don't think that. It was um, last week was was one of those weeks as I finished the second service that I that I couldn't get out of here fast enough. I couldn't get out of here fast enough. And in fact, literally, as I finished, I went to Lori and said, I'm out of here. I said goodbye to a few people, shook a few hands, and left. And uh, went home and, gosh, I didn't think I was going to do this. And I fell on the bed, and, and I just said, man, I just want to quit. I'm tired. And I just want to quit. I'll sleep it off is what I'll do. Came back for North Point that night, and I wasn't really any better. And um, so I thought I'll make it through the night, and it'll be a new day tomorrow, and I'll have a better attitude, and it'll all be different. So I wake up on Monday, I come up here for men's fraternity, and I'm still struggling. Monday's not any really that much better. I think I'm a little bit better. So I go to bed Monday night, and I think eventually by the end of the week I'll, 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 be, I'll be better again and um, be ready to get back in the saddle. But then it was one of those nights at 2 in the morning I wake up, three hours of sleep, and I can't go back to sleep. It's all on my mind. It's just eating me alive. And it, all it is is that I just can't do it anymore. And it's, it was wearing on me that I, don't, I thought, I can't pastor anymore. I'm, it's time to move on to something else and do something else. And I don't know what that something else is, but I'll do it. And so there I was at 2 in the morning awake and, and not much better and trying to sort through all this. And, and it reminded me of something I heard a long time ago. And I think it still hangs with me today because it really came out, I think, pretty loud and clear that morning. And that was, if Satan can't make you dirty, he'll make you discouraged. And so, I'm not saying I'm squeaky clean, but I'm saying that there's no unconfessed, unrepented of sin in my life. I can truly say that. But I can say that, that I'm prone to sin as quickly as anybody else in this room. But... What else will he do? But he will make you discouraged, make you want to quit. And so it's Tuesday morning. It's time. It's early in the morning, but it's time to start preparing for next week. Nobody's offered me that golden parachute out there, so I better get back in the saddle. So I opened up to Colossians. If you would open up your Bible to Colossians chapter 1. And 
it was in Colossians 1 that I just picked up right where we left off last week. And all of a sudden, on Tuesday morning, this is the passage that I read first, probably that entire, well, that, that, that week was verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings. If you remember where Paul is, he's in prison for being a Christian. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I do my share on behalf of His body. Who's His body? His body is the church. Which is the church. He defines it immediately after that. To fill, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. And immediately I began to think, oh gosh, I'm not like Paul. I'm nowhere near what Paul's gone through. But look at Paul's attitude. You know, I'm nowhere... Where what's discouraging me is, is before me, but golly, man, I'm nowhere near what, what Paul's going through. And so I just kept reading. How can that be? Verse, verse 25 of this church, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the Word of God. All I can tell you today is you sit there and read those verses, they probably don't mean one thimble full of what they meant to me on Tuesday morning. But on Tuesday morning, what it reminded me of is that God didn't call me for some easy non-difficult life. I might ultimately be stripped and beaten and left for dead like Paul or put in prison like Paul and then maybe then I can really have something to, to, to whine about. And then whenever I came to verse 25 and just began breaking that down and how he rejoices in the suffering with the church and and, and, and then he goes on and says, of this church I was made a minister. And immediately it's like I could just insert in, into that of grace point, Mike was made a minister. I didn't choose it. I mean, you might say, well, you're the one who started this church, but it wasn't just something that I woke up one day and said, I, I, I want to go back and just do this. We were loving life in Africa. And so it says, this is the church that I chose for you to minister in according to the stewardship from God. Now, what does that mean? If you really understand the word stewardship, we talk about it in terms of money so much of the time because it is a banker's term. It's the idea of managing somebody else's account and the idea of handling somebody else's money. And we don't actually own a dollar. I don't know if you realize that. God owns it all, and we're just managing what He has. So if He wants 10%, 20%, or 100%, He ought to get it all. Okay, It's all His anyway. And so when I think about it now, bring it into what He's talking about here. We, Mike McDaniel has been called as a pastor, as a minister of Grace Point Church to manage. To manage. To give leadership to. But it was bestowed on me for, listen to this, for your benefit. 
for your benefit. I don't know what what I've gone through this week. You might call a pity party or what you might call it, but it was as if God was saying to me, Mike, it's not about you. It's not about you. I've called you for this time to be steward of this church for their benefit. So that they might benefit from you being there. They might benefit in their faith and their life and in whatever they're going through. And I think for some, the idea of a, of a pastor or a minister, and I'm going to get beyond just talking about myself and my story, but I'm just telling you where I've gone this week. And this is a large, large part of message about where God is taking me this past week and even up until this morning. But for I think for a lot of people, the idea of a pastor is, you know, he's there for you when you're hatched, matched, and dispatched. That's really kind of what it is. You, you know? That's the role of the pastor, and in, as long as he's there at those times, that's, that's my job. But if you read that passage, it's the idea of a steward, of a manager, of a person who is hopefully a part of your life for your benefit. And so I began to widen that circle a little bit. I began to think, you know what, this is more than just talking about Pastor Paul. Because if you know the story behind the story, Paul isn't the pastor of Colossia. Epaphras was. And so if Epaphras is the, the apostle, how can Paul step in and say that he was made a minister and he was a steward? And really what it comes down to is not talking about an official pastoral position because Paul wasn't that, but Paul was definitely, most definitely, most definitely a spiritual leader. And so if I can broaden the circle today and just say, what about spiritual leaders? Why? Why do we need spiritual leadership? Why, why is spiritual leadership more than just that hatch, match, and dispatch kind of mentality? What is a, what's the role of a spiritual leader? And no, you may not be of 700 people being a spiritual leader, but you may be of a, of a, of a class right beyond that wall in the next service where you're just with about... 15 children. Or you may be up here on Wednesday night just pouring your life in to some teenagers who, who really are kind of zoning in their own zone and, and orbiting their own earth. And, and you, you're just trying to do the best you can and you're trying to be a spiritual leader. Or, or maybe you have a body life group that meets in your home. Or maybe, maybe you're just a husband of a family. The challenge to all of us today is for us to examine what it means to be a spiritual leader. Who are we? Why, why are we a spiritual leader? Why do we, here's a life principle for you. Is that every one of us needs two or more spiritual leaders in their home, in their life. You need to be thinking about who is it in your life that is a spiritual guiding force? Who's out in front of you? Who's challenging? Who's calling you up and out? Listen, if you're your own spiritual leader, you are sorely on the wrong track. Because if I was just simply my own spiritual leader, then I could easily get on the wrong track. I need men around me. I need, I need people around me that will help guide me and challenge me and call me up and out as well. Who around you are your spiritual leaders? And again, when I say spiritual leader, I'm saying somebody that you're willing to follow. I'll, I'll give you two disclaimers right now on spiritual leaders. Again, 
you might be a body life group leader, you might be a deacon in this church, you might be any, any number of, of, of roles, but here's just a couple of disclaimers or rules on spiritual leaders is that they will not necessarily tell you what you want to hear. Okay? There may be some times that they actually make you feel a little uncomfortable. Somebody said the job of a spiritual leader is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comforted. That's a pretty good role. If you don't feel uh, uh, uncomfortable from time to time, if you don't feel challenged in your life from time to time, then you probably don't have a spiritual leader. You have a spiritual tag-along. Who's calling you up and out? Second thing about a spiritual leader, kind of a disclaimer, is that no spiritual leader is infallible. You listen, don't drink the Kool-Aid if they say drink Kool-Aid, all right? It's not the Jim Jones thing. It's not every leader knows everything, and they're all powerful, all infallible, inerrant in every way. So you need to be looking at them. And this is just kind of disclaimers on the side. But as I'm sitting here, I'm reading this passage of Scripture. And when I came to that phrase, for your benefit, for your benefit, that's why I'm here. So let me just tell you where my heart is right now. Right here, right now, where I am right now. I want to help you. Not because I have all the answers and I've figured it all out. But I want to help you. I need you to help me. If I can be a spiritual leader in your life, and I can be somebody who can speak truth into your life and help you, challenge you, call you up and out, then, then so be it. But if really your concept of my role is for those just key time periods and dreadful periods and good periods in your life, and that's really all I am, then I'm sorry. That's not, that's not the role of a spiritual leader. A spiritual leader is to help you, to benefit you, to make your life go from here to here. It's to call you up and to call you out and to, to, to take you to a more dynamic and more beautiful and more fulfilling relationship with God. And I, I tell you, I, there's nothing like it in, in the ministry. Whenever I am with families and couples and I see a couple and a marriage restored, that just, oh, that's, yeah, it's not my marriage restored, it's your marriage restored. And if I can be a part of that, oh, my lands, that brings excitement to my life. When I see the light switch come on in somebody's faith and they've just kind of been wandering through the life and, and just aimlessly going through life and I see somebody kind of leaning in and coming in and all of a sudden, boom, they give their life to Christ. They've been far from God and they come, oh my lands, that brings such joy to my life. But what will zap my life faster than anything is those who just come and set, soak, and sour and have no life change, and have no experience with God. And I'm going to do my best to be ready every single time we have an encounter with one another, whether it's one-on-one over coffee or it's right here on a Sunday morning. I'm going to do my very best to be right and ready with God. Will you please do yourself a favor in completing that benefit connection and make sure your heart is right and ready? What are the benefits that he speaks of in this passage? Because he mentions the benefits, and I think there's at least two of them, and I want to bring those out to you real quickly as I tell my story this week. The first benefit 
of having a spiritual leader in your life is you're able to explore and expose the mystery. We all like a good mystery. We all like a good story, a good movie with a cliffhanging ending. We all like a, a, a good book that kind of keeps us on the edge of our seats, has a lot of drama in it. We all like that kind of story, but we don't want to live it. We kind of like to know where we're going, what's happening around the corner, when the next bump in the road is, so we can kind of be ready. We don't want to live in a mystery. We want to watch a mystery. But the reality is, is when you enter into this and you realize you wake up one day that you're living a, as, a, as a physical being, you're actually living in a spiritual world and, and that, that this, there's a spiritual world all around you and within you and, and, and then, then you've got to start now understanding and, and wrestling with and coming to the understanding of what is the mystery of this mystery that I'm in? The spiritual world. And hopefully you'll have a spiritual leader who will be in your life, who will speak truth in your life, who will help you explore and expose that mystery. Paul loved that word, mystery. He uses it in this passage alone three different times. A total of 29 different times does he use the word mystery in his writings. He really zeroes in on that word and the whole concept there is exactly what we know it as. It's, it's mystic. It's the unknown. It's, it's the idea of unveiling. It's the idea of exploring. And you need somebody in your life. You need two or three people in your life who will continue to push you further in life, encourage you, call you up and out. And here's what he says. He goes on, For your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word, that is the mystery which has been hidden from past ages, generations, but is now has been manifested in His saints, to whom God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Jesus is about, I mean, Paul's about unpacking a mystery. You know, I'm afraid that one of the things that we might easily, quickly do and mistakenly do is to dumb down God. In our, in our desire to make God our bobblehead God or our homeboy God, desire to make Him so personal we might miss who He really is. That we might miss the fullness of Him. He is our friend. He, he is our answer to our prayers. He, he is imminent, but He's also transcendent. He's knowable, but he's, he's unknowable. He's inside us, but He's also beside us. God is so vastly beyond us. And the thing is, is I'm coming to you with, with finite words and a finite mind and a finite space of time speaking the, of the infinite. There's no way I can unpack God for you today. All I can do is maybe call you out and say, hopefully you will go with me and we can go together and we can go on a journey to explore and expose who the mystery is in God. We have dumbed Him down way too much. St. Augustine said it like this, if, if you understand, it is not God you understand. Sounds mystical. It is. Thomas Aquinas said, he says, this is the ultimate knowledge about God. 
to know that we do not know. Now, again, sounds philosophical, but think about it. Meditate on that. He writes, Thomas Aquinas in the 1200s writes 20 volumes on who God is. He is trying in 20 volumes to unpack and, and, and disclose and to help understand who God is. And, and in 20 volumes, he has this vision ultimately at the end of his writing of these volumes. He has a vision of Christ in, in the church. And he comes back, and this is his last statement. He said, I can no longer write, for God has given me much glorious knowledge that all contained in my works, all contained in the 20 volumes that I've written, are as straw, barely to fit to observe, absorb the holy wonders that fall in a stable. What am I saying here, guys? I'm saying I want to go on a journey with you. But please, don't come here Sunday after Sunday expecting to see a show. Expecting to get your ears tickled. Expecting to get a warm fuzzy. Please come ready to explore and expose the mystery of God. As I'm trying to understand Him, as I'm trying to walk with Him, and you're trying to walk with Him, you bring your pieces of the puzzle, I'll bring my pieces of the puzzle, we'll share them together, we'll go to our body life groups, we'll share even more together, we'll grow together, and we'll begin to understand how God is so way beyond us, but yet so intimately, wonderfully, gloriously, graciously, mercifully, wants to embrace us. That's beyond my understanding. God made it clear in Jeremiah 29.13. He says, You will seek Me and you will find Me when you search for Me with all your heart. There's one thing you've got to understand about understanding God and the mystery of God is that God is not going to force Himself upon you. Apathy and passivity are not compliments to a Christian's life. Passivity and apathy, again, I'm just going to come, I'm going to set, I'm going to be fed, and it's, it's what I'm going to get. No, if I don't enter into a relationship, if I don't enter into this, into this exploration, if I don't enter into this, I'm going to miss out. If you're just depending upon me, no, it's you will seek and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. Am I going to be hidden? Is God going to hide? Yes, God's going to hide until you seek Him. Until I seek Him. Matthew 5, 8 says it like this, the pure in heart will see God. You know, my question today would be to myself and be to you. Have I not seen God because of the apathy or passivity of my life? Or have I not seen God because of the impurity of my heart? That maybe it's not that it's not that God is way off and doesn't love me. It's that I haven't made room in my heart for God because I've got so many other things in there. It's the pure in heart that will see God. One more verse. James chapter 4, verse 8 says it like this. Draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. 
I like that verse because it means there's a little bit of an initiative on our part. There's a little bit of a role that we have to play in this. God is there. He is available. Yes, He is transcendent, but He is also imminent. The fact that He wants to be in your life. He wants to be a part of your life. You draw near to Me. I will draw near to you. I want to be in relationship with you. You know, I've had some neat conversations with some men and some women since we've been start, since we started about four weeks ago our men's fraternity. And uh, some of the women are saying, "I'm pushing my husband out of bed to make sure he gets there every week because I like the changes that I see." And some of the men are saying, "My wife is encouraging me to come." And, This has been good for me. It's been good for my marriage. It's helped me understand me. It's helped me understand my spouse. It's it's, it's been good in in that whole dynamic. And it has been an enjoyable study for the past four weeks. One of the phrases that we've we've zeroed in on is out of 1 Peter where it says, live with your wife in an understanding way. And the whole idea is to study and know your wife and know know her personality, know her love language and Know, know, know what her needs are versus what your needs are. And, and it's, it's kind of turning the eyes off of, okay, what's in the marriage for me to what's my wife? What are my wife's needs? What, what kind of love does she need to know? And it's been very beautiful because I've been able to rehearse it and practice it in my mind. And Lori has given me great affirmation even just yesterday. says, you've been different in the past month. I didn't tell her that I've been having to practice what I preach. But it's been true. But here's the point. And I thought about this. I thought, you know what? God really wants to be in a relationship with us. He, he wants us to understand Him, to explore and discover Him. He wants to reveal Himself to us. But the problem is, is that what we do is we come and we set and we want to be fed. I've heard that so many times. I'm sick of it. We're fat. We've been fed so much. What we need to do is start exploring. Start diving into the mystery. Start not putting God down like a great novel that we just can't release from our fingertips because it's so captivating, so energizing. Fall in love with the mystery of God. Start exploring Him as a spiritual leader. And as you are a spiritual leader in your family, and as you are a spiritual leader with your children, as you are a spiritual leader with these children, and as you are a spiritual leader in your small groups, as you are a spiritual leader at your work, you may not even have an official title, but you may be the only person on your team, in in your pod or wherever, in your classroom, that may really have a walk with God. You might be a spiritual leader there. Take people on a journey to explore and expose the mystery of God. The second benefit that should come to you and come to us all is that we would encourage and establish the faith. Explore and expose is one part of the mystery, but also that not only that that would be the end of it all, but that we would actually encourage and establish inside of us a faith that can handle those days like last Sunday for me, a a faith that can go through those times when you're not dirty but you're discouraged or you're not discouraged but you are dirty and you're trying to get back on the right track. 
talking enough to personal trainers, physical trainers, you'll talk to them and they'll tell you right now, I can help somebody know what to do. I can help somebody know physically how to eat. I can help somebody know all this kind of stuff, but I cannot give them the passion to do it. We have trainers in this church that will tell us that. That will tell us, you know what, if they don't have a hunger for it, they can, we can go all day long over technique. We can give them all day long all the, all the balls, all the, all the bands, all the weights, all the training. If they don't have a heart and a passion for it, it won't happen. What I want to have inside of all of us is a heart's yearning and desire. And what I have to do as, as a spiritual leader is to be sure that I'm looking across you and across the next group that will be in this room and across our congregation is I want to constantly look, where are we at? Are we physically, spiritually fit? Are we, are we growing in our faith? Where are we weak? He doesn't use the physical trainer uh, metaphor, but in Solomon uses it in Proverbs 27, a metaphor of a shepherd. And he says, Be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. There's a role that I have that I will have a greater, actually a greater judgment, it says in James chapter 3, verse 1. I will have to undergo a greater judgment because as a spiritual leader, I'm held accountable at a higher standard. You, as a spiritual leader, are held accountable at a higher standard. Make sure... People are being encouraged and growing in their faith. Here's another verse for you. Hebrews 13.7 says it like this. Remember your leaders who spoke the Word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. I, I, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to, to have a strong faith. Look with me at verse Verse 2 of chapter 2. He says, this is what, what, what Paul's desire was. And he said to all those who hadn't personally even seen him, he says this in verse 1, he says uh, in, 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 in verse 2, he says that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance, understanding, resulting in the true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself. I would hope and pray that your faith would be established. But in verse 28, he tells us how he kind of does this. Verse 28 of chapter 1, if you'll look there, he says, we proclaim him. This is what Paul's doing. We proclaim him. And there's three things that he does, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete. See, just, Jesus is going to do. Uh, Paul's going to do several things. He's going to admonish us. Paul's doing this to the church at Colossia. What is what is the job? How do I admonish? Admonishing somebody is helping somebody put up the guardrails in their life. The guardrails in their life, because you know it's a warning out there, guys. It's dangerous out there, guys. Ladies, be careful. That you are in a battle. Oh, I can just tell you to put up some guardrails, to put yourself on, keep yourself on the right track. And he said also teaching. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be teaching them. Teaching every man, making sure every man knows certain things. You know the thing about a Christian life is this. We think the word Christian is really ought to define us, but really the word disciple ought to be what defines us. 
Because the opposite of being taught is being a disciple, the one who's being, who's being the learner. The Bible only uses the word Christian three times. Believer, two times. But over 200 times does it use the word disciple. So the concept of what a real follower of Christ is, is a person who's learning, growing, growing, learning, learning, growing, and applying it constantly to their faith to the point that they're following. In Christ's footsteps. 269 times it uses the word disciple. Admonishing, teaching, and completing. I love this last phrase of that verse, verse 28, because he says, presenting every man. Present every man complete in Christ. One of the things that you easy to, to miss over in our life is that, and this is true of Grace Point, that we really want everyone to be accepted here. And we will accept everyone here. Warts and all. I don't care what's going on in your life. I don't care how messed up it is. We love you. We will accept you. We're not going to cast judgment on you. The great thing is, is that we're also not going to want you to stay there. This is not just some little happy huddle. This is a huddle. This is a group of people that are on a journey to become something. What God wants us to become. That we would one day, oh, hopefully one day, I would be complete in Christ. That, that one day my life and the warts and all would fall off and that I would be complete and God is going to do a work in me and He's not going to stop doing that work in me until the day Christ comes again. He said this to the church of Philippi, again from the message I'm reading, he says this, he says, There has never been a, the slightest doubt in my mind that God who started this great work in you would keep at it and bring it to a flourishing finish on the very day Christ Jesus appears. Jesus Christ who wants to work on us. Do you know what will make me discouraged? Is when I just see and I just sense a group of people that are not ready to jump in and explore the mystery of God. When I sense that our faith is just like jello, it's just out there. It's not becoming solid, it's not becoming strong, it's not becoming what it should become and could become. And the great thing is that Paul did not have any connection. Just mark this down. Paul did not have any direct connection to them. Some people had not even seen his face. And I just want to kind of close today by doing a brief interview with some people. That, that I think speak to this. Because if you read chapter 2, verse 1, you would find that in chapter 2, verse 1, Paul is dealing with people, he's writing people who had never even seen him face to face. And what we have to do as spiritual leaders, and let's just say everyone in this room has the ability to be a spiritual leader. I don't care where you come from, where you've been. If you allow Christ to do His work in you, you can be a tremendous spiritual leader. But I want those who are going to be on the interview panel, if you all just come up here and grab a seat on, the, on these stools, those you know who you are. Um, this is a lot of our representatives from our Molly partnership. Because, you see, we've got Bobby, we got, where's Scott at? Scott's supposed to be here. There you are, Scott. All right, Sarah, y'all come up here and grab a seat on the stool here. Is Lori in here? Okay. She was going to have to teach, so we didn't know she's going to be here. Here's what I, here's what I want y'all. Y'all just uh, grab a seat on the stool there. And we really rehearsed this really well. 
<laughs> All right. Make sure it says green on it. Post-it bowl says green. Um, um, I wanted these guys to come up here for just a moment because we've had something really cool happening around the world. And, and, and the reason I do this is because Paul was a spiritual leader to Colossia of which they had not even seen him. As far as we know, he had never been there. But I said a few weeks ago that there are world-class Christians and that the only real Christian, we talk about pure Christianity, the only real Christian is a world-class Christian. And I want to say one of the things about our mission partnerships, and we have a team right now in Mexico. We have a team leading this, leaving this week to Mali. That this is not just a joyride. That we're actually on a mission. That we would be spiritual leaders, helping people understand the mystery of God. Helping people be encouraged and strengthened in their faith. And a, and a few years ago, there was a group of ladies that went to Mali. And they were actually just going to do a, a filming prayer campaign kind of partnership. And then all of a sudden, as they went, God just laid on all the slaves' hearts a tremendous burden for this village and these people. And as, as, as they got there and they got established and, and they came back and said, you know what, we, we might need to consider a partnership with them. And so it's more than just a project, okay? Uh, go on, come on up here, Lori. I know I'm telling your story. Um, I live with her, so I know the story. Um, Lori, tell us how Molly began. Well, God created the earth. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was. I, I walked in just very, at the very beginning when Mike was saying that it was a partnership and a bunch of us girls kind of went over there. And I think it, it seemed like it was by human accident almost because our job was to go over there and take photos to put some prayer materials together for the missionaries that were there. But we pretty much collided with what God was already doing there. And, um, you know, as we were there in this village, there were a couple of men who were believers, but there were no women at the time who were believers in this village. And at that point when we, when we were there, they were literally coming to us and asking us about God and, and who is Jesus. And we would say, you know, who is Jesus' father? And these are things that they literally, if I could put it, and you could really grasp it, that the answer to all the biblical questions that we would ask were, I don't, we don't know. And so for the first time, we were able to tell um, many of these people in this village about Jesus. And since then, um, many people started coming to Christ. A year later after that, they baptized in the village uh, the very first believer. And a year after the very first team had gone, um, th- there was a new church start. And our goal is to see them, not only for us, we've gone and planted a church in that village, for them to now take it to other villages. And so when our last team uh, just went recently, our plan was to go and teach them how to do this, how to go to the next village. But when we got there, their excitement for God and their faith in Jesus was so much beyond our logic and planning. They had already done it. So when our last team arrived, uh, they had already gone to the next village. There were 29 new believers in the next village. And so a church planting movement, I guess you could say, has begun in this little area. Bobby was a part of that last team. And many of you all know that we've had one particular prayer request that's been going on for some time. And I'm going to let him tell you. I mean, because we've been doing this partnership, what, for two years? Two years. This has been an awesome thing. I know Carrie Jo, she had this man deep on her heart. Those who've gone have met this man. What happened this past trip with you, Bobby, and this this chief? And hey, Tell us the story of what happened there. Well, uh, this really is a – can you hear me okay? Yeah. This really is a uh, what the International Mission Board calls uh, an unreached and unengaged people group. So what Lori just described, you know, two years ago, I was made to see it because – Nothing was going on there, but, you know, again, believers have uh, 
have grown out of it and so forth. But uh, the trip for me, and, I, and I'm missing my partner, Brian Cockrell, but you see him in the photos. He was a part of the team as well as uh, our grandson, Joshua. But uh, it was just a great example of God's timing uh, being perfect and his way being perfect and a good reminder for us as a church to never stop being fervent in our prayer because as Mike just shared, uh, I know what was, what happened is, and I'll, I'll go ahead and just say it, is I had a chance to uh, to lead the chief of the village uh, to the Lord uh, while we were there. Uh, and I, as a matter of fact, I, I told Carrie Jo because she actually uh, shared with me in her journal, which is just incredible uh, how much prayer really has gone in this, even the day that uh, God had just really affirmed that, you know, this would happen someday. And you don't know how he's going to do it, and we don't have time to tell the stories, as teams always don't. Uh, but the chief, is, as it is always true in the African cultures, they really respect the older people. And, you know, I always worried about what hair I had did that was turning loose, not more than I did about what was turning gray. Uh, but gray hair really kind of helped uh, me have an identification with him. In fact, he, uh, he almost jumped for joy when he saw me. And, and his words in his bomber language was, finally, old man to old man. Uh, and as you all know, I mean, what we really do and how we witness and share Christ is, is really through uh, storing because this is really an oral culture. And, and it was really three different times that uh, I had a chance to first take him through the creation of Christ and then came back and visited again and then finally uh, shared with him about Nicodemus and uh, being born again and so forth. And it just so happened that the whole team had gone back with me this last day when we visited with him there again at his Hut. So Lori, Sarah, uh, all of our workers, Brian and all, we were sitting there. And I'll never forget, Sarah doesn't know this, but I'll never forget, um, as you're sharing, of course, it's being translated. And during the translation, you have a chance to pause. And I remember looking over and leaning up against the tree with Sarah there with her eyes closed, uh, looking up and praying. Uh, I'm sorry, it's just a little bit emotional for me, but um, it's a joyful thing. And you think about now, uh, he's a baby in Christ, just like all these uh, um, other believers are, and if we ever have needed to pray, don't stop praying now. Uh, they truly faced uh, spiritual warfare far more than we do. Uh, but having the uh, the leader of that village uh, now profess uh, Christ as the one and only God to get him to say those words that no more fetishes, uh, turning away from the animistic beliefs and so forth of that culture is an, an awesome thing. Absolutely, Scott. This is your third trip to Mali. You leave on Tuesday, on Wednesday, Wednesday morning. You're the next team to follow behind uh, Bobby and that team that just got back. Um, what are you going into? I mean, you're, if you take this message, you're a spiritual leader to this village, taking the mystery of Christ, trying to encourage and establish their faith. What's next on your plate? How can we pray for y'all? I don't know that I can talk. Didn't expect this. Um, Spray your hair gray. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's already gone. So, well, what we're doing, like, you know, several things have been said that I, I thought I was going to need to say. The two-year commitment you know, or the three-year commitment, we're, we're two years into it. Um, so at this point, we really need to be making sure that the church is becoming much more autonomous, day in and day out, uh, living their life as believers, as a group. And uh, so what we're going to start doing, a new program that we're going to be calling Bible School, which we think they'll get really excited about that and uh, be teaching smaller, uh, the way I see it, smaller, more detailed stories. We've been focusing on creation of Christ and some of those things, which are great. Um, 
but these small stories teach them to smaller groups so that they can then go in and go to the other villages like they've been doing, but start teaching uh, the Bible just straight through. So that's kind of our focus. And so a prayer for for us, I think, is to make sure that uh, God would bless this and that that we actually start stepping that way so that the teams following us can, can just continue on. Awesome. So go, go from zero believers, zero church, to now possibly in this little K village community having a Bible school. That's awesome. We'll be praying for that this week. Also, I want you to notice this too, that none of these people right here have been seminary trained. They're just spiritual leaders wanting to impact and help other people explore the mystery of Christ, hoping to encourage and establish other people in the faith. These are just common Joes. And I think it's really cool to see how God has captured uh, your heart, Sarah, in, um, for Molly. And uh, you're going to be our first, longest standing, non-two-way. I guess we had the loopers go to Kenya, but go for four months. You're leaving your job kind of here, family here, uh, with the blessings of Don, the blessings of your work, and you're going for four months. Uh, you're, our, you're kind of our first longest and this is an exciting day for us. Tell us what's going to happen, what's, what you're anticipating. Oh, man, I'm so excited. Mm-hmm. I'm just, well, actually, um, I need to get through the next two days. <laughs> the next three <laughs> days, I've got a lot to do. But then, um, you know, Grace Point isn't the only church that has adopted villages. Mm-hmm. There are multiple churches around the United States that have adopted um, villages over there outside of Bamako. And the, um, the business is booming. The missionaries need somebody to come over there and help volunteer to coordinate and facilitate all of the teams from all the partnership churches. So that's what God has asked me to do is to go over there and work with Steve and Susan and Shirley and Tom and Diane and just facilitate and coordinate multiple teams coming over. And it is, just, it is my um, delight that I get to do this, and it is my joy that uh, we will improve the process and that it will make it easier on the teams coming over, more fruitful. And just maybe somebody who thinks, I can't go over there, they'll go. That's right. That's right. Thank you all for investing your life. I know as the team gets ready to go, why don't, why don't we have the rest of the team come up here? We'll pray for you all as you all go out this week. Yeah, come on up. Russ uh, Owens was on the team but uh, couldn't make it. He had a little sickness that kind of hit him a, about a week or so ago. And so he's, why don't you all stand up, just line up right here. And... Uh, we're going to pray for them as, as they go. Russ, come on up here. We're going to pray for you. Even though you can't go right now, we're going to pray, pray for you, buddy. Uh, because he was going to go, and he's going in March or sometime soon. Uh, if he can get past uh, this little physical uh, holdup. But we're going to pray let you be a part of this team as they go out. Bobby, would you voice our prayer for them? Yeah, you know, I think we ought to get uh, Don to come up here and stand by Sarah, too. Don, right. Don, Don, come, come on. Uh, you're a big part of this commitment as well. Um, you know, I'm going to do something here. Uh, Mike said we didn't rehearse any of this. In fact, he constrained us on time, and um, uh, I'm just feeling impressed to do it. But, uh, you know, we heard um, his words this morning as he began this message. And he's my son-in-law, so you've got to excuse that. Uh, but well, I, have, I will have to tell you that when I prayed for uh, Lori to have a good mate, uh, God over-delivered. Uh, and, but what Mike shared, I guess, this morning uh, is why I want to say this. Uh, you know, I've seen and been a part of churches that are growing, uh, but I've never been a part of a church where uh, so many people all across this auditorium and our church uh, family, whether it's been families then or going back again in the middle of holidays or youth uh, that take off and go, 
uh, on mission, and I think that has a lot to do with uh, the leadership of our pastor, and I think we ought to appreciate him for what uh, Grace Point is being able to do through God and through his leadership. Even a father-in-law ought to be able to plug his son-in-law. Uh, y'all, y'all pray with me. God, this, uh, this surely is time that, uh, that brings joy to, to you when, God, your people stand up and answer uh, the call in your word, Father, when you ask, you know, how will they hear unless some go? You know, unless they are told, how will they know? And Father, thank you for uh, so many across our church, and whether it's been Molly or or Haiti, or Mexico, or Father, across the street, but that, God, that we've taken serious this call. And Lord, I just pray especially now for, uh, for this team as they stand up and say, send me, that, God, that you'll go with them. And Father, you know, you know every need. Father, you know that we need the safe travel. And Father, we just pray for a smooth event for them, Father, as they uh, prepare. And Father, as they leave on Wednesday, God, just pray that the, uh, the airline schedules will will be on time and be smooth, Father, that their luggage will make it, and God, all the preparation that, uh, that is uh, already there, uh, Father, just pray that it'll all be able to be there for them, and God, above all, we just pray that you'll keep them in, uh, in your care each day, and Father, we just uh, pray in great anticipation of the work and the, the good things we know that we will hear as they return, Father, and just pray for uh, the hearts of the people there in the village, and God, out. Again, pray for the chief and his leadership, and Father, that uh, Lord, that he'll stand up, and that others will uh, will continue to grow and and find you as their Lord and Savior in that place. And Lord, I just pray now again that you'll uh, protect these and Father their families. And God, I pray especially for Sarah and Don because of the step that that they are taking together as a couple. And God, I just pray that you'll protect. Uh, their relationship, for their marriage, Father, for their business as, as they separate like this. But, God, that they know that they're doing it for your honor and for your glory. And God, I thank you for Sarah. And Lord, I know that this is truly a, a deep dive for her. And, God, I just pray that you'll uh, bless her, keep her safe. And, God, again, I just pray that you'll be honored and glorified in, in all that will be done through these that are being faithful to you in Christ's name. Amen. You know, as this uh, team has a seat and they get ready to go, we've got need for two more people to go in January. Uh, you know what it comes down to when I think about this message? If you just want to sum it all up, let's do it like this. I need to be a spiritual leader. You need to be a spiritual leader. Here and around the world. Am I willing to answer that call? It's not going to be easy. There are going to be times that it's going to hurt and be painful and, and leave you on the side of the road. I don't, I, I, you're going to feel like that in your own heart, but I hope that this church will be full of spiritual leaders exposing and exploring the mystery and helping encourage and establish people in the faith.